culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Yes, it should be a great week. We have survived the Oscar ordeal and World War IV uh, between Chris Rock and Will Smith. Was it staged? Was it a gimmick? Uh, was it for real? We are told, according to Diddy, uh, who used to be P. Diddy, who's also known sometimes as Sean Combs, he has as many names as that uh, former communist head of Afghanistan a long time ago, who had a bunch of them. But in any event, he says it's all peace, it's roses and friendship and brotherhood now between Chris Rock and, uh, and Will Smith, who won the Oscar last night. But uh, will the Oscar experiment show that uh, somehow movies have recovered? Ross Douthat, in a provocative piece in The Times, says that these Oscars prove that movies are dead. Are they really? We will talk about that. What about the Biden gaffe? Is it the biggest gaffe he's ever made, saying when he was speaking in Poland in what otherwise was a very moving and forceful and actually fine speech, did he blow everything by saying at the end that, uh, that Putin must go? He cannot, this man cannot remain in power. There are different points of view on that. We will speak about some of them. Uh, some people suggesting that this is a very terrible gaffe that actually makes it much less likely that you can possibly have uh, any kind of resolution of this, uh, of this war, which is so punishing and, and so horrible for the people of Ukraine. And speaking of horrible, there is um, also reports that there were attempts to actually poison uh, both uh, Russian and Ukrainian members of the peace negotiations. And since, of course, it's been proven that Vladimir Putin has used all kinds of poison before as a political weapon, uh, this is to be taken uh, very seriously. Uh, Biden right now is speaking about his new budget, which he says is vastly more responsible, lowers the deficit from uh, where it was under Trump, that uh, and his budget includes a new billionaire's tax, which would actually not apply just to billionaires. It would apply to everybody who has more than $100 million in net wealth. And they say that this will, of course, while 90, literally 99.9% of Americans will pay nothing more for this new tax, at least, that uh, they would gather $360 billion for the federal treasury. A good plan or just more typical posing by Democrats about uh, an excuse to raise taxes, even though they say this one is aimed like the proverbial laser beam at ultra-rich people. And then Rich Lowry of National Review, the editor-in-chief of National Review, uh, says the Republicans, if they want to win back the presidency, need to avoid one candidate in particular for 2024. Who is it? We'll be speaking to uh, Rich Lowry on the Michael Medved Show coming up uh, actually this hour. 
Okay, first off, the uh, the idea that uh, Biden is back from uh, from Europe and he's doing a press conference in the White House briefing room right now. We will go to it when he begins to take questions. He's right now talking about his budget, which is <laughs> sobering enough. But uh, he he ended his trip to Europe where he spoke in Belgium. He seemed to make more progress and keeping the alliance together, which is crucial in terms of dealing with Ukraine and the war in Ukraine. But uh, he's taking questions right now maybe we should listen in, in or do you now regret saying that because your government has been trying to walk that back did your words complicate matters well yes three different questions i'll answer them all number one i'm not walking anything back the fact of the matter is i was expressing the more outrage i felt toward the way putin is dealing and the actions of this man just just brutality of half the children in ukraine i had just come from being with those families. And, uh, and so, uh, but I want to make it clear, I wasn't then, nor am I now, articulating a policy change. I was expressing the moral outrage that I feel, and I make no apologies for it. Personal, personal feelings? My, my personal feelings. Secondly, you asked me about, uh, well, what was the second part? Complicate the diplomacy of this moment. No, I don't think it does. You know, uh, the, uh, uh, the fact is that we're in a situation where uh, um, what complicates the situation at the moment is the, uh, the escalatory efforts of Putin to uh, continue to engage in carnage, the kind of behavior that, uh, that makes the whole world say, my God, what is this man doing? That's what complicates things a great deal. And, uh, um, but I, I don't think it complicates it at all. Let me go to uh, Steve Holland. Reuters. Mr. President, thank you. When you say that you're not walking anything back, you do feel that Vladimir Putin should be remained from, removed from power? Is that what you're saying? And no, what I was, I was expressing just what I said. I was expressing the moral outrage I felt towards this man. I wasn't articulating a policy change. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, he continues on this course that he's on. He is going to become a pariah worldwide. And who knows what he come, becomes at home in terms of support. Are you concerned this remark might escalate the conflict? No, I'm not. I'm not at all. Look, and, and, you know, look, the, the other thing is that uh, a, a couple people have asked me as well, might as well speak to it unless you want to ask the question, but, uh, you know, uh, that other governments have suggested that this is a problem, I'm escalating things. Uh, no. And has it weakened NATO? No, it hadn't. NATO has never, ever, 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 ever been as strong as it is today. Never. So saying he cannot remain in power does not mean he's using What does it mean? It means that I would hope he, I just it was expressing my outrage. He shouldn't remain in power. Just like, you know, bad people shouldn't continue to do bad things. But it doesn't mean we have a fundamental policy to do anything to take Putin down in any way. What made you add that? Because that wasn't in your prepared remarks, we were told. So what made you add that at the end, Mr. President? Because I was talking about, I was talking to, them, to the Russian people. The last part of the speech was talking to the Russian people, telling what we thought. And I was communicating this to not only the Russian people, but the whole world. This is, this is just stating a simple fact that this kind of behavior is totally unacceptable.
totally unacceptable. And the way to deal with it is to strengthen and, and put, uh, keep NATO completely united and help Ukraine where we can. Um, uh, Cleve, you had a question. Where is he? Uh, thanks, Mr. President. Um, on, your, on your budget, uh, you, you've said repeatedly at the State of the Union that you're not for defunding the police. I, I do wonder how much emphasis you think should be put on alternative forms of crime prevention, not just defunding the police, but, uh, you know, crime reduction in communities. Oh, a significant amount. I've laid that out in detail in the budget. For example, we do know that intervention programs work. We do know that what police need, they, they, they need psychologists in the department as much as they need extra rifles. They need people who are in the department who can deal with the crisis that the police are going through as well, dealing with their crises, dealing with their mental state and how they're handling things. They need, they need social workers engaged with them. I lay it all out, There's a, and it all works. If you see these community intervention programs, they work. They actually reduce crime. They significantly reduce crime. We will be uh, back to more about the debate about what President Biden said about uh, this man must not, uh, cannot remain in power. Uh, there are a number of columnists who uh, say he said the right thing and no, he shouldn't retreat. And he's kind of, yes, retreating at the same time that he's not retreating. And what does that mean? Is it good for America? That and more with Rich Lowry coming up soon. And on the Michael Medved Show, one of the problems with Joe Biden, and Democrats said that all the time when they were running against him for the nomination, he's a gaffe machine. He sometimes says things that he needs to walk back. That's almost everything that is being focused on in this impromptu press conference that uh, is taking place right now in the White House briefing room. Let's hear the very end of it. Listen. Efforts, But just to be clear, are you confident that Vladimir Putin sees it that way, that he will not use this as an escalatory... Uh... I don't care what he thinks. Look, here's the deal. He's going to do what he's going to do. Putin, look. But you're not concerned that he may see your language and, and view that as, as a sign of a reason for escalation, use that as an excuse to escalate, given no. his recent behavior? Given his recent behavior, you should... Excuse me, I shouldn't say that to you. Given his recent behavior, people should understand that he is going to do what he thinks he should do, period. He's not affected by anybody else, including, unfortunately, apparently his own advisors. This is a guy who goes to the beat of his own drummer. And the idea that he is going to do something outrageous because I called him for what he was and what he's doing, I think is, is just not rational. You didn't say I was meeting him again. Would you meet President Putin no, ever again? It no, it's not a question. Either. The question is, is there something to meet on that would justify him being able to end this war and be able to rebuild Ukraine. So That's the issue. It depends again? on what he wants to talk about. Thank you. Hey, um, what if he wanted to talk about negotiations? Now, what if he oh, wanted no, to you said Supreme Court. I don't quite <laughs> Well, you can't leave that hanging. Yeah. Um, just real quick, um, two matters on the Supreme Court. There, while you were away, um, there were reports about the wife of Justice Thomas uh, and texts that she had with former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. 
Should Justice Thomas recuse himself from any cases involving the January 6th insurrection or former President Trump at this point? I'd leave that to two entities. Okay, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Ask the second question. No, two entities. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> One, the January 6th committee and two, the Justice Department. That's their judgment, not mine to make. So, on Justice Thomas recusing, you don't think he should, or? I'm not, I'm, I said that. I told you. Those things get into legal issues. That, in fact, I told you I would not tell the Justice Department what position to take or not take. And I'm not going to instruct the Congress either. And did you get any chance to watch much of the Judiciary Committee hearings? I didn't get a chance to see any of it, unfortunately. Um, the fact that Republicans were questioning Judge Jackson on matters like former sentences related to child pornography cases or the definition of a woman, does that, as the former chairman of the Judiciary Committee, make sense to you? Look, this is one of the most qualified nominees ever nominated for the Supreme Court in every respect, in terms of her disposition, her intellectual capacity, her experience and background, and serving on two, three additional courts, a woman who is totally, thoroughly qualified, totally, thoroughly qualified, and will be a great addition to the court, in my view. Thank you. That uh, appears to be a, a, the uh, the end of the questions back and forth. Most of the questions uh, went to the added part of the speech he was giving in Poland. It was part of a uh, uh, in front of a castle from the old Polish monarchy, and uh, and he's speaking in Poland because right now that's where most of the NATO troops are on that eastern rim, uh, basically prepared to gu uh, guard their nations against uh, any kind of advance or incursion by Vladimir Putin. And uh, part of what President Biden said at the beginning of the speech, uh, which I don't think anyone had any problem with, was affirming uh, support by this country for the Ukrainians. Uh, listen, this is clip 6.5. My message to the people of Ukraine is a message I delivered today to Ukraine's foreign minister and defense minister, who I believe are here tonight. We stand with you. Period. Today's fighting Kiev and Metropole and Kharkiv are the latest battle in a long struggle. Hungary, 1956. Poland, 1956. And then again, 1981. Czechoslovakia, 1968. Soviet tanks crushed democratic uprisings. But the resistance continued until finally, in 1989, the Berlin Wall and all the walls of Soviet domination, they fell. They fell. And the people prevailed. But the battle for democracy could not conclude and did not conclude with the end of the Cold War. And uh, then Biden going to this about defense of NATO territory. Uh, listen, this is clip 15. But as I've made clear, America forces are in Europe, not in Europe, to engage in conflict with Russian forces. American forces are here to defend NATO allies. Yesterday I met with the troops that are serving alongside our Polish allies to bolster NATO's frontline defenses. 
The reason we want to make clear is the movement on Ukraine. Don't even think about moving on one single inch of NATO territory. We have sacred obligation. We have a sacred obligation under Article 5 to defend each and every inch of NATO territory. And then the controversial ad lib, it was not in the text of his speech, that the whole world is talking about today. Listen, this is clip five. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never erase the people's love for liberty. Brutality will never grind down their will to be free. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. For free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Okay, that's it. What he has said, what his aides have said, I think Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has given the best explanation. She says when he says, he, for God's sake, he cannot remain in power, meaning in power over parts of occupied Ukraine or in power over any other countries against which he advances. Uh, look, it's a, it's a mess, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's one of those gaffes at a time when it's most potentially costly. And it makes people think about, okay, uh, what do we do now? There's a powerful editorial in the Wall Street Journal today uh, that says the president we have. And it talks about the need for President Trump to make a, um, a, a concerted effort to bring more Republicans and more conservatives and more other points of view into his administration. And uh, again, we are not in the midst of a presidential election. We're in the midst of a congressional election. But that presidential election is coming up, and there's some very strong words about that election from Rich Lowry, editor of National Review. He will be joining us in moments right here on The Medved Show. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Rich Lowry, who is the editor-in-chief of National Review, the leading conservative journal in the country. He also writes for Politico. Uh, this new piece, I believe, appeared also in the Boston Herald, and it's gone around the country. And uh, the piece suggests that uh, it's not a nomination or a selection of one nominee for the Republicans for 2024. But, uh, Rich Lowry, you have a recommendation of the uh, one potential nominee Republicans should avoid, and that would be? <clears throat> Donald J. Trump. I, I think uh, <laughs> we should be glad he built, beat Hillary Clinton. I didn't expect it. I was glad positive things he, he did, judicial nominations, other accomplishments. But it's time to turn a page and go with someone younger, someone fresher, someone who can 
uh, try to synthesize the, the populist and the traditional wings of the Republican Party and won't have a built-in just wall of hatred that's just baked into the cake the way Trump does. I think Trump could, you know, in Biden's current state, Trump would have a pretty good chance of beating him, but I think would be a much riskier proposition than any n- number of these uh, younger new generation Republicans who want to pick up the baton. But as you you acknowledge in your uh, column, and it's a very provocative column, you acknowledge that uh, Trump remains the prohibitive favorite to win the nomination and that according to the most recent Wall Street Journal trial heat, he's tied with Joe Biden. Why is that actually a worrying sign? Well, I I think the... um Biden is in such a pathetic state. I mean, he's at a flat line of 40 percent. He's, he's uh, you know, in the 30s, upper 30s and approval among Hispanics. His uh, handling of the economy is way upside down. I mean, he's just in terrible shape. So to be tied with them isn't a great isn't a great sign. You'd hope, you know, the most famous Republican in the country would be ahead of him. Uh, but Trump isn't. But that said, you know, Trump has the loyalty of millions of people. He hasn't taken the hit. I think he should have for having lost in 2020 a winnable race that was on him. And obviously, at the very least, has a high level of interest in exploring running and is telling people he's going to run. I think you know, he won't make the decision for another year and a half or so until he actually absolutely has to. So he can't say with certainty one, one way or the other what he do. But if he gets in, it's going to at the very least, drastically affect the field. It'll be a much smaller field. A lot of Republicans will stay out. I kind of think Ron DeSantis wouldn't get in. Ted Cruz certainly wouldn't get in. A number of other senators wouldn't wouldn't get in. And um, and, and you'd have to give Trump, you know, at least again, if, uh, above a fifty percent chance of winning the nomination. I would think. Okay. Uh, last night, it wasn't last night. Saturday night, he uh, had a rally in Northeast Georgia. And there's a lot of reporting It says it's the smallest crowd he's gotten uh, for any of his rallies since 2016. And uh, one of the things that happened there is the crowd was chanting at one point, lock him up, lock him up, lock him up, not relating to Biden, but relating to Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp. That's not a good sign for the party, is it? No. Now, there's back and forth. I was just talking to a friend in Georgia before I hopped on with you, Michael, who is not sure whether it's right that the media reporting on the crowd size, you know, that apparently they sold 24,000 tickets online, but then a lot of the media was saying it just seems like 5,000 people were there. Who knows? You know, probably somewhere in the middle. He could still draw a big crowd. It just might be smaller than, than it has been. But in Georgia, shaping up to be a major embarrassment because he – Uh, hates Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, because he didn't go along with his uh, plans to overturn the election and endorsed Dave Perdue, the former senator, purely as a vendetta play. And no one likes that politics. Running for for governor, challenging the incumbent Republican. Yeah, in in the primary. And Brian Kemp is pretty popular. He's quite conservative. Georgia governors are very powerful. You know, he has a lot of strings to pull. And it looks as though... Purdue's campaign is, is really scuffling, and it may be that Purdue is in eventually for an unendorsement the way Mo Brooks, the Republican congressman in Alabama, who's also who's running in a Senate primary and is in third place, uh, got from Trump. Trump was early on uh, to endorse Brooks because Brooks said what, what he liked to hear on 2020, and then when, when he sank, Trump cut him loose. 
Well, I know that one of the things that Wall Street Journal has editorialized about this a, a lot is that uh, Republicans could still blow this election of 2022 if they nominate people who are unelectable. Uh, when do you think Eric Reitens, <laughs> given the level of humiliation uh, he has been suffering in public, he's still running ahead, apparently, in, in Missouri by one or two points over the state's attorney general. Eric Greitens, the resigned, disgraced yeah. former governor. And and Trump is still open to endorsing Eric Greitens, right? Yeah, so that that would be an example where the party could make a really a bad mistake. I would expect Greitens to think um, of his own weight, if he, even if he doesn't get out in that primary. And I kind of think, Michael, maybe I'm naive, but I just sort of think even if there's some bad choices in some of these states, just the size of the wave at the Republicans' back is going to be so large, it's not going to make a difference. It's going to be like 20... Uh, in 2010, uh, that era where there were some really dumb choices Republicans made in terms of their, their nom nominees, and, and they gave up some Senate seats because of it, but they still came out <clears throat> way ahead. So I kind of think it's hard. They can mess up some individual states, cause, but it's going to be hard to mess up this thing in the aggregate because just the backlash against Biden is going to be so profound. Uh, what about the potential damage to Trump if his candidates don't uh, prevail in primaries? It's a sign. You know, I think it's a sign maybe his grip is loosening. Um, but it's going to be really hard to, to tell, I, I think. You, you know, even if people say they don't want him to run, um, maybe if he actually gets in, they'll just be right with him again. But on the other hand, maybe the people who are saying you know, they, they want him to run and will support him don't really think that and are just saying that to annoy the, the media or not be part of the media bandwagon. So it'd be really hard to know, I think, until he actually gets in. But I think it'd be better if he doesn't get in. Play, try to play kingmaker. You know, rest on your laurels. You, you've accomplished much more than anyone ever could have expected, and let let a, a younger, fresher face take take the baton. And you know, and there'll be some synthesis of, of pre-Trump Republicanism and post-Trump Republicanism. Maybe not all of it will be to my liking, but I think whatever that synthesis is with someone new as a champion will be better than returning to, to Trump yet again. Okay, can you list a few names that well, would represent that, mm -hmm. someone new, and people who might even be willing to run against Trump and win the nomination? Well, the foremost, obviously, got a lot of attention, is Ron DeSantis, who is very forward-leaning on cultural issues, very combative, you know, has these viral exchanges with reporters, but also is a very substantive guy. And if you close your eyes and, and just someone told you what he had done substantively, you'd say, okay, any, it could be Jeb Bush as governor. It could be any Republican governor over the last 20 years. Um, it, so it's, it's standard Republicanism with a new kind of combativeness, and that represents the DeSantis version of a synthesis. Tom Cotton gave a speech out at the Reagan uh, library two weeks ago or so. Some things that you know I might disagree with, depending on what exactly it means uh, um, means by them in terms of substance. But you know the, the party needs to be more restrictionist on both trade and immigration. Um, he you know used the term globalist, which kind of grates on my ears ears a little bit. But also you know very hawkish in the traditional Republican mode and and very thoughtful. Um, 
I kind of think, you know, DeSantis wouldn't run if Trump uh, runs. I, I think maybe Cotton might. But the cal- calculation a lot of people are going to make is, why do I risk my reputation when I'm young enough to wait? That's uh, Rich Lowry, his piece on uh, Trump, uh, baggage-free Republican alternatives to Trump in 24, is uh, linked up at our website at michaelmedved.com. We'll be right back on The Medved Show. Medved in a moment. Of course, there's lots of polling data that has nothing but terrible news for Democrats. I mean, just Really, really sobering news about a coming GOP tidal wave. Uh, There's a brand new Siena College poll that just came out today that has the ultimate bad news for Democrats. I mean, what's one of the worst things that could happen to them in this midterm election? Well, here it is. A uh, Siena College poll of the New York governor's race found that assuming that Governor Cuomo gets into the race, as he's indicated he might. And if a politician says he or she might, the chances are they're trying to collect money. They will. And certainly for somebody like Andrew Cuomo, who never did go to jail, he just resigned, and he claims he was improperly pressured to be resigned. Um, Okay, right now, Kathy Hochul, the incumbent governor, is leading in the primary with 52%, and... Her biggest competitor is the public advocate, Jumaine Williams, who has 12%. So she's way ahead. However, if Cuomo runs against her, and she was the lieutenant governor who replaced him when Cuomo resigned, he's already at 30%. She's down to 38%, which means that Cuomo could be back and uh, could win. I win the Democratic primary. I, if if Cuomo wins the Democratic primary, then uh, the Republican, who is likely to be Lee Zeldin, uh, who's a pretty good guy and a very strong candidate, he's a, a, a congressman from Long Island, uh, Lee, Lee Zeldin could win this thing. And taking the New York governorship is a very, very big deal. So that is something to pay attention to. The um, uh, Another bit of uh, political trivia, and this is reported by the National Journal. Uh, Representative Madison Cawthorn, Republican of North Carolina, of course, said in an interview this week, now I'm just going to read this exactly the way it came out in the National Journal. Madison Cawthorn said in an interview this week that he thought sexual perversion was rife in Washington, D.C., revealing that he had been invited to an orgy by people he looked up to, and he witnessed prominent figures consuming drugs right in front of him. Cawthorn did not name the individuals involved in these incidents, nor did he give uh, further details as to when they took place. Uh, Does this somehow go along with... uh, 
with Madison Cawthorn's claims that Vladimir Zelensky is a thug and that the Ukrainian freedom fighters, the government of Ukraine, is actually incredibly evil? Really? Good luck, uh, Madison. Um, meanwhile, there is another word about the Ukraine and about what President Biden said and the gaffe that he committed, at least according to most people, Michael McFall, who has uh, been a guest on the show several times, he's a fellow at Hoover Institution, and he's also a former ambassador to Russia. He was ambassador to Russia under Obama. And he posts on Twitter um, that uh, Putin accused Obama, Clinton, and me, says Michael McFall, of seeking to overthrow his dictatorship a decade ago. I wrote a book about it. Biden's comment added nothing new to Putin's worldview or his propaganda on this issue. And to state the obvious, the U.S. is not trying to overthrow Putin's dictatorship. If the USG was, if the United States goal was, uh, Putin's intelligence services would have shown you bank accounts of CIA money for Russian opposition leaders long ago. They haven't because those efforts don't exist. And uh, that hasn't stopped people from being extremely indignant about President Biden's comment uh, where he said, I wish to God uh, that he would no longer be in power. And uh, here's Senator Jim Risch, Republican of Idaho, uh, talking about the consequences of Biden's gaffe. Uh, this is 5.5. He gave a, a good speech uh, at the end, uh, but as you pointed out already, uh, uh, there was a horrendous gaffe right at the end of it. I just... I wish he would stay on script. Whoever wrote that speech did a good job for him, but my gosh, I wish they would keep him on script. I think most people who don't deal in the lane of foreign relations don't realize that those nine words that he uttered uh, were, uh, would cause uh, the kind of eruption that they did. Uh, yeah, which is kind of expected. When you're president of the United States, uh, you have to be extraordinarily careful. President Biden, uh, like it or not, is not always so careful. Uh, the uh, reporter on Sunday, this is before the press conference today, uh, shouted at him, asked him whether he was calling for regime change. And here is Biden's brief answer. Listen. Uh, clip 17. Mr. President, were you calling for regime change? No. <laughs> well, there it is. Uh, the Wall Street Journal writes, uh, more or less the whole world, including his own advisors on background, has criticized President Biden for his latest gaffe and saying in his Warsaw speech on Saturday that Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. There's no need to pile on. And someone should say that Mr. Biden's unscripted remarks did have the virtue of telling the truth, that the problem in Russia won't, and even if Mr. Putin orders his troops out of Ukraine. The reality is that we have to live with Mr. Biden for three more years as president. And please stop writing letters imploring to demand that Mr. Biden resign. Do you really want Vice President Kamala Harris in the Oval Office? 
She was chosen as a bow to identity politics to unite the Democratic Party in the election campaign, not for her ability to fill the president's shoes. In the last 14 months, she has failed to demonstrate even the minimum knowledge or capacity for the job. We are fated to make the best of the president we have. But um, Mr. Biden's muscular assertions in the written text of his war speech need to be supported by more than rhetoric. The U.S. and the West need to urgently restore and strengthen the credibility of their military and diplomatic deterrence. More hawkish advisors would send a more determined signal to the world and especially to adversaries. The world, writes a Wall Street Journal, is, journal, is entering the most dangerous period since the Soviet Union collapsed and perhaps since the 1930s. The COVID crisis obscured the trend, but the dangers have been obvious as adversaries have reacted to what they perceive to be the American decline, division, and weakness at the root of the Afghanistan debacle. Uh, Mr. Biden needs to back up his Warsaw words with a defense buildup and far more diplomatic realism to confront the great risks ahead. And they also speak about, as we've argued, Mr. Biden would also be wise to bring some high-profile conservatives and Republicans into his administration. And that would be following the example of Roosevelt, who brought very high-profile Republicans in before World War II broke out, before Pearl Harbor, to help make American foreign policy a more bipartisan endeavor. They also write, Harry Truman worked with GOP Senator Arthur Vandenberg to build support for NATO at the dawn of the Cold War. Even Jimmy Carter at least had the hawkish Zbigniew Brzezinski as his national security advisor when the Soviets tried to exploit Mr. Carter's weakness. Mr. Blinken, the Secretary of State, has shown impressive energy as Secretary of State, and he was right in advising Mr. Biden not to withdraw in toto from Afghanistan. But Mr. Biden desperately needs to diversify the advice he gets beyond the liberal internationalists who dominate his councils. Susan Rice, Ron Klain, and Jake Sullivan have the Afghan failure on their resumes. I think all that is very powerful and very, very clear. And you can't hope that we're going to have um, another president uh, like uh, Vladimir Zelensky who is very much the man of the hour. Now they're talking about the, the one of many, many problems with the Oscar show last night being that they could have gotten Zelensky and it would have electrified everything. Why did they ignore the entire matter of the Ukraine largely until about two-thirds of the way through a very, very, very long show? We'll get to that and to more about Hollywood's big night or last hurrah. That and more in this greatest nation on God's green earth.